you're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Before we jump into the message, I do want to take a second again and just recognize that today is 9-11, that we today uh, remember those who died. Uh, we remember those who um, were heroic in their efforts to rescue and to help people heal through that. And we remember today those who are still fighting um, for our freedom. And I uh, just want to take a moment and just, just to reflect on that, just to say you know, how thankful I am for those who, who do give their lives to, to give us the opportunity to have freedom, to come in and do the things like we do here on Sunday morning. We're able to worship God. And so, um, as we say, we'll never forget, and uh, obviously something that changed the world forever. And so, uh, just want to remember them today, and we'll do that in our prayer in just a second. Um, today, we're actually wrapping up a series called The Win. And this series is about what it looks like for the church to win. What does it take for the church to win? And over the years, over the last eight years, what I've seen is that there's four cultures that are very important if a church is going to do what God wants it to do. And these are things that are clear in Scripture. These are things that God calls us to do and to be about. Um, It's things that God shapes in our hearts as we follow him. Things like evangelism that we talked about last week. How many of you are here to hear Bo last week talk about evangelism? Sorry to let you down. I don't have a monkey story, okay? Um, Every time Bo preaches, he talks about monkeys. I don't know what it is about Bo and monkeys, but um, anyway, don't have a monkey story for you. But um, but the other uh, cultures of, of community, of serving, and today we get to talk about the final culture, which is everybody's favorite, but just as important as those others, and it's generosity. No applause. I, don't, I didn't really expect any, but um, anyway, but, but it is. It's, it's one of the cultures that I've seen that it requires in the church for the church to do what the church is designed to do. And today I want you to see that God wants much more for us than he wants from us. And so we're going to look at that today. We're actually going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Um, and we will do that after the service at our next steps table. We'd love to give you a Bible. Um, if you do not have a Bible um, at home or with you today, we'd love to give you one of those. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at verse 6. And to set this up, Paul is, is, is going around to the different churches and he's taking up an offering for the church back in Jerusalem. Paul was the apostle. Um, He was the one that God had sent to the Gentiles to tell them the gospel. And he's raising money through these Gentile churches. These are non-Jews. That's what a Gentile is. Through these Gentile churches, he's raising money to give back to the church in Jerusalem who were Jewish. This was one to to help them because they were in a time where uh, they were struggling uh, from a, a, um, a famine, there was, they, they didn't have enough to eat. There was just a struggle going on at that time in the church in Jerusalem. And also, too, to show unity. He wanted the church in Jerusalem to see that these Gentile or non-Jewish believers uh, were for the Jewish believers. He wanted to build unity in the church. And so he's going around collecting this offering. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all about. We're going to pick up in 9 verse 6 where he's giving some principles about giving. And so let's look there at verse 6. We'll read verse 6 and then we'll pray and we'll go through the rest of this scripture as we go through the message. But it says in verse 6, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let's pray and we'll get going. God, thank you so much for 
the opportunity to be here this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to share in your word. God, we thank you that we have the freedom to come into this place and worship you today. And God, we thank you for those who, who, who fight for our freedom, who give us the ability to do the things that we do. God, we, we remember those who lost their lives on 9-11 15 years ago. God, we remember those who fought heroically to save and to rescue and to help heal those and those families who've lost loved ones. And remembering that today, we pray for their peace and their comfort. God, I pray today that you would challenge us. Challenge us through your word. Challenge us through the convictions that you give us. And God, just do a great work in us so that you can do a great work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we are talking about generosity, and it's not one of the most favorite topics to talk about. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it's one of my least favorite ta things to talk about in the church. Um, I wish that it wasn't something that uh, we, we, we needed to talk about. I wish it wasn't something that the Bible talked about so much um, because it's kind of one of these things people are like, well, why do you hate to talk about money? And I'm like, well, if every time you talked about something, you got hit in the face by someone, would you want to keep talking about it, right? And, and so uh, the answer is no. Um, and so uh, it's one of those things that's a difficult topic many times in the church. And one of those reasons is because of the abuses we've seen with money in the church. Um, most of you, if you've probably been in church for a while, there's been things that you thought were done wrong with the money, that you thought were abuses, or maybe it was abuses. I remember I was at a church service one time, and uh, this was um, like a revival meeting, and, and I remember they took up an offering that night, and they had the people in the church come and actually bring their money and lay it at the, the preacher's feet. And, and as he stood there, they were bringing the money and putting it at his feet to give him basically the money. And I mean, I was like, something just don't feel right about that. And I thought about like, what if we took up our offering that way? Like, what if I just stood here every week and I was just like, bring, come bring your money. Kids need shoes, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It just doesn't seem right. And, and we've seen things like that take place in the church um, so many times where it can become about someone or it can become about an agenda different from God's agenda. And so there's been abuses and we see that. Another reason, just to be honest and just to throw it out there is because it gets tense when we talk about money is because it, it's an idol for so many of us. It's something that we, we oftentimes worship. It's something that is, is um, very much has a grip on our lives in many cases. And so it's something that, that it becomes an idol in our lives, something we worship, many times something that we put ahead of God in our worship. And so we need to remember that and be aware of that and be, be uh, conscious of that. In fact, I want to give you real quick five reasons that I believe we need to talk about money in the church, that we need to talk about giving in the church, that we need to talk about generosity in the church. And the very first one is that it's practical. It's practical. God is a practical God. How many of you thought about money this week? You can raise your hand. It's okay. I did. I thought about it. I was like, are we going to make it to the end of the week? That was my thought. And uh, so, um, but, but we do, we think about money. It's a practical thing that God deals with. Another one is that it's spiritual. It's spiritual. It is something that God wants us to grow in. He wants us to grow in generosity. He wants us to become more like him, right? Um, it's something, too, that's essential. You can't do ministry without it. In a perfect world, it wouldn't be needed to do ministry, but because of the nature of the world we live in, it's required to do ministry. It takes that to do ministry. 
Um, think about Jesus, and when he lived on earth, he had a treasure. Why? It took money to live. It took money to do ministry. Um, it, it's also biblical. It's something that's biblical. It, it's something that Jesus talked about more than any other topic in the Bible. He talked about money. He talked about giving. He talked about storing up treasure in heaven and not storing up treasure on earth because he knew that it would be the number one competitor for our heart. And the last reason it's something we need to talk about is because it's beneficial. It's beneficial. God wants, us, wants to guard our heart from this. Because it's the number one competitor for our heart, when we're generous and we give and we're generous to people, we're generous towards the kingdom of God, what it does is it guards our heart. And we're going to talk about this a little more later, but it's a heart issue. It really is. And it's an indicator of where our heart is according to how generous we're willing to be or, or how generous we are. And so I want you to, to think about those things, that it's something that needs to be talked about. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this because this is key. This is huge. You need to grab hold of this and remember this, that we have to get to a place with generosity because some of you I know have already tuned me out on this. Here's the thing we've got to get to. We've got to get to a place on generosity and in generosity and our thinking about generosity into a place where we realize that God is much more concerned with doing something something for us than he is taking something from us. That God wants something for us, not from us. God, listen, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our resources. God wants something for us. And today we're going to look at what that is out of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. We read that first verse, but let's look at it one more time. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In this scripture, Paul goes to this um, agricultural analogy. We, how many farmers do we have in here? We have some farmers, maybe? All right, we've got one, one or two in here. Farmers, yeah, thankful for farmers because I like to eat, um, right? And uh, so we, we, we look at this, and this is an agricultural analogy. I was a farmer once when I was about seven years old. Um, I, I decided I'd plant some pumpkin seeds. And, and my mom, it was like sometime in September or sometime, and my mom was like, those are never going to grow. There's no reason to plant them. They're not going to grow. And, and I was like, well, I'm going to plant them anyway. So I went out there. I dug up the hardest dirt in our backyard. This is no joke. It was the hardest dirt there was. I stuck the seeds in the ground, covered them up, didn't think anything else about them for a while. Um, just realized, you know, well, mom says they're not going to grow, probably won't grow. We go out there a few weeks later, and lo and behold, there's little pumpkins growing in the backyard. It was crazy. These pumpkins grew until they were literally like this big around. I was like, so mom, pumpkins aren't going to grow, huh? You know, because kids like to do that kind of thing. And so uh, the, the pumpkins grew though. And the thing about it is that I realized if I hadn't sown the seed, they never would have grown. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see now. God writing through Paul to us today is, is trying to get us to see that if we don't sow, we're not going to reap. And that goes for anything in our life. Whatever we're sowing, we're going to reap. In fact, there's some principles about sowing and reaping that we can all understand and know. One is this, that you're going to reap more than you sow. If you think about that, those pumpkins, I sowed one seed, but how many more seeds came up? There were so many more seeds that were 
there. Um, so I actually, I reaped more than I sowed. Another principle that you can think about with sowing and reaping is that you're going to reap later than you sow. And so it requires patience. That's not something that we're very good at in today's age, is it? Because everything is instant. It's instant gratification. We want it now. But the reality is it takes patience. As we're sowing, whether we're sowing into the kingdom, whether we're sowing into a relationship, whether we're sowing into our workplace, whatever it is, it takes time. It takes time to reap from what we sow. But understand this, whether we're sowing good things, we're going to reap good things. If we're sowing bad things, we're going to reap bad things. Paul talks about this in Galatians. He talks about how God will not be mocked that a man will reap what he sows. And so we need to understand we will sow, we'll sow we'll, or we will reap. We'll reap more than what we've sown and we'll reap later than what we've sown. And another one that we need to remember is that we'll reap what we have sown. We'll reap what we have sown. Think about it. I didn't plant pumpkin seeds and get an apple tree. I planted a pumpkin seed and I got pumpkins. And so we're going to reap what we sow. And, and I want you to see that and, and really be able to grab hold of that. And, and so the question becomes then, if we sow into God's kingdom, if we sow into God's work, if we sow into what God wants us to do, then what are we going to reap? Now, I believe Paul answers this in verses 9 through um, 14. And I want to run through those real quick to show you some of the things that we reap when we sow into God's kingdom, when we give generously towards God, towards his work, towards his church, towards ministries, towards the, the working with the poor, towards all of these things. When we give generously towards those things, there's things that we reap. And if you look at verse nine, it says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your, what? Righteousness. Enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, one of the things that he's saying, if you sow into the kingdom, you're going you're gonna to reap righteousness. And it's not because when we're generous, it makes us righteous. It's because of the righteousness that Jesus has given us, it makes us generous. And so what he's saying is you're producing the righteousness and you're producing the fruit of generosity because of what Jesus is doing in your heart. Does that make sense? So that one of the things we reap is the righteousness of Christ because in this we're becoming like Jesus. We're becoming like God. The second thing in verse 11 says this, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So he says, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. And if you look back at verse 10, he says, I'll increase your store of seed. And so the other thing that we see that, that God begins to um, let us reap, that we reap from generosity is more seed, more seed to sow. He says, so that you can be generous in all occasions. We reap what we sow. If we sow into the kingdom, our finances, it says that we'll reap from those, what we've sown from those finances. So we are given more seed. Here's where we get it off sometimes. So many times we think if I give to God, he's going to give back. And that's for me to just do what I want to with. But the reality of it is when we're generous towards God and he gives back to us, the reality is that God gives it back to us so that we can be generous all the more. You see the difference in that? It's not that God is saying, yeah, I'll supply you with more seed. I'll give you more stuff. I'll do all of this 
for you so that you can hoard it and, and keep it to yourself. No, he's saying, I'm giving this to you so that you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, so that you can, can be, continue to be generous and even more generous than what you were. And so that's what God wants us to see in this is that he gives us more seed. If you look at the end of verse 11, it says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. He says others will praise God. Another thing that is reaped when we're generous is that God is praised. Think about this. When we meet the needs of other people, when we see other people coming closer to Christ, when we see other people being made whole, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever it may be, um, don't we praise God? How many of us praise God today when we saw people go into the baptismal waters, when we saw people be baptized? We praise God for that, for what God's done. How many of us have praised God because of the salvations that we've seen take place in this church? How many of us have praised him for saving people and bringing people to himself. Think about this. How many of us have praised him for what's happening through the transitional housing program? How many of us have praised him for, for all of the good works that God's been doing in and through the church? We praise him when we see the needs of others met. And, and that's what Paul is telling us, that it reaps praise to God when we're generous towards others. I want you to understand that none of this stuff happens without generosity. All of these cultures work together to be the church that God's called us to be. We can be as evangelistic as we want to be, but if we have no community, people just come in the doors and they go out. We can be as community-oriented as we want to be, but if we have no evangelism and we're not telling people the gospel, then we just become a holy huddle of people who just get together and, 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 and yeah, we love each other, but we're not loving the world around us. If we're not willing to serve, we've got no way of making the gospel tangible. Um, if we're not generous, we've got no way of doing ministry um, to do the things that God's called us to do. And so all of these things work together. Um, and when we work together in all of these things, more praise goes to God. It says there in verse 14, it says, and all and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. The last thing that I see that we reap is unity. He says, their hearts will go out to you. In other words, when these Gentile believers are generous, these Jewish believers are going to see their heart and they're going to come to be unified with them. They're going to be unified in one purpose, in one cause. The Bible tells us that where our treasury is, there our heart is also. When we sow into God's kingdom, our heart becomes about the kingdom because our, our heart will always follow that. It's just a principle that the, the Bible teaches and it's true. And so when we think about that, our hearts become united with one purpose. They become united to do one thing. As we're sowing, as our hearts are turned towards God, turned towards being generous to the kingdom, our, our hearts are unified with one purpose and one mission. And so it's really important for us to see that. Now look at verse 7. So the first thing is this agricultural analogy, that you'll reap what you've sown. The second one is out of verse seven. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
The second thing I see that Paul teaches us about generosity is that it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, not a money issue. It really comes back to our heart and being generous. He says to give what you've decided in your heart. He doesn't say in your mind. He doesn't say what your logic tells you. He says in your heart. It's that place that communes with God. It's that place that listens to God. And then we do what he says. And so he says, give what you've decided in your heart. So it becomes a heart issue. There's some questions and some of them are tough questions, but I want to ask you these questions. And the first one is this, do I desire to give to the kingdom? Do I desire to give to the kingdom? Has God touched my heart in such a way that I desire to give to his kingdom? I desire to be a part of him reaching other people, of meeting the needs of other people. Because it says in verse 7 in B right there, the last part of 7, it says, Do not give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to see that God doesn't want us giving out of obligation. He wants us giving not because out of reluctancy. He wants us giving because he's touched our hearts and we want for other people what we've experienced. And so that's why he calls us to be generous. Have our hearts been touched? Have we come to a place where we desire to give to the kingdom of God? The second question I would ask you is, am I asking the wrong question? I know in youth ministry, I used to always get this question from, from teenagers who were in relationships. They would come up to me and they'd always ask him the wrong question. They'd come up and they'd say, how far is too far? Right? How far is too far? And, and I'd always get that question. I'm like, no, you're asking the wrong question. We should be asking the question of how do I stay pure? How do I keep my heart um, guarded? so that I do the things God wants me to do. And a lot of times when it comes to generosity, we ask the wrong question. Here's the question we get a lot of times, how much do I have to give? Well, you don't have to give anything. But the question we should be asking is how much can I give? How much can I give to the kingdom so that it can grow, so that God can do what God wants to do? The next question is, am I serving money or am, am I serving money or is my money serving God? Am I serving money or is my money serving God? Matthew 6, 24 tells us that we can only serve one master. We can't serve both God and money. We'll have, one will have mastery over us. And so is my, am I serving money or is my money serving God? Is my generosity serving God? The last question is this, who do I see as my provider? Because here's the thing, if we don't see God as our provider, then what we end up thinking is that it's all mine. I earned it. I did it. It's all something that I did. But the reality is we only have what we have because of what God has given us. And so we have to come to a place where we see it all as his. We get hung up on percentages, 10%, 15%, 5%, 2%. What, am I, what do I have to give? And the reality of it is 100% is God's. It all belongs to him. It's his. He's our provider. He's the one that the Bible says will take care of us. Listen to verse 8 now. So the first thing is we see this agriculture analogy that we reap what we sow. The second one is that it's a heart issue. It's not money issue. The third one is this. It says in verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. 
He is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want to tell you what this third one is and then I'll explain it. But I believe this, I believe in, I believe this is what Paul is wanting us to see and get over is that fear is the number one enemy of generosity. Fear is the number one enemy of generosity. But the good news is that the Bible tells us that God will bless us abundantly. That God's heart is to bless us abundantly. We saw in verse 10 that he, he says that he'll increase our storehouse of seed when we're generous. I have my middle son. He, uh, he loves to scare people. Anybody around someone that just likes to scare you all the time? Is that not the most aggravating, stinking thing that you could ever encounter in your life? Somebody that just likes to scare you. So I'm always walking through the house and he just, rah, you know, and one day I'm just going popping, you know, just out of, just out of like instinct and reaction because I used to be a ninja. And so I'm just going to hit him one day accidentally. And so when, when he does that though, it scares the mess of him. So I never know what corner he's kind of lurking behind, you know, and where he's waiting to jump out and scare me. And, and I was thinking about him and thinking about that. And I was thinking about how true that can be in our lives in the way we look at our finances and the way we look at what God's given us and the resources he's given us is so many times what happens is we're so fearful of what's around the corner that we can't be generous in the present time in that moment. And, and so I want you to see that God has promised to take care of us, that God is the provider, and that we can't create a deficit through generosity that God's not capable of filling, that God wants to take care of us in that way, but he gives us what he gives us to be generous to others so that the gospel of Christ is able to be more clearly seen, so that people are able to come to a place of realizing who Jesus is. I believe that that that. This is true that in every area of our life, including generosity, the best way to live is to listen to God and do what he says. And listening to God and doing what he says isn't always the logical thing. It doesn't always make sense. But I know that's the best way to live life. I've seen it in my own life. And so I want you to be able to see those things and grab hold of them. To wrap this up, I want to share with you real quick my own personal convictions about generosity. And I want to share those with you. And then I want to share with you my motivation for giving, what that looks like. And we're going to wrap this up. But the very first thing that I'm convicted of from Scripture is that I believe generosity starts with the church. I believe it starts with the kingdom. And, and I know this is what I get every time. Well, you say that because you're the preacher. No, I say that because I read the Bible. And that's what I see. I was, this is what I believed before I ever became a pastor. Remember, I was in the roofing business for 10 years before I became a pastor. This is what I believed then. It's what I believe now. And the reason I believe that is because it's everywhere in Scripture. That's what I, where I see people being generous first. But here's the reality. The only reason we have a rub against that is because so much we haven't seen the church doing what the church is supposed to do. If the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, then we should want to give to the church because that's the place that God is going to be changing lives. In fact, I thought about this. What kind of place would I want to be generous towards? And the very first thing I thought about is I want to be generous towards a place that makes an impact. What greater impact is made than the church, than God's house, than God's kingdom moving forward, proclaiming the gospel? I thought about this. I want to be able to be generous towards a place that makes an impact that's lasting, that impact 
impact that the church makes is a lasting impact. It's eternal. It's something that would go on in 2,000 years when Walmart and everything else is gone and disappeared, right? And we're flying around in little space bubbles or whatever we're doing. Then, then, then the church is going to still be there. And the eternal difference that the church has made is going to be there. I'd want to be generous towards a place that has a clear vision and a clear mission. And the church should have a very clear vision and mission to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't get much clearer than that. So God's called us to do that. I'd want it to be a place where I could trust the leadership. And here's the thing I would encourage you and challenge you with. If you don't trust leadership with your resources, don't trust them with your spiritual life, right? It doesn't make sense. I hope that we're able to be transparent enough with you and that we lead in such a way that you would always believe that we're trying to do the best thing we can to grow the kingdom. A second conviction that I have is that 10% is the floor. And I wanna explain this. I think sometimes the church throws out percentages because the church sometimes thinks that we're not smart enough or we're, too, uh, we're so unspiritual that we can't pray, listen to God and do what he says. So many times we just say, well, you gotta give 10%. The thing that I say is pray and let God tell you what, what you're to give. He says, decide in your heart what it is that you're to give. But this is what I believe. I believe that 10% is probably the floor. And I know that's overwhelming to some people. I know it is. The key is just to start somewhere and trust God and be faithful with what we have and what he puts in our heart and let him grow that. Sometimes we talk about a tithe and that's, a, that's 10% of our income. And, and here's the thing I'll tell you, it was taught heavily in the Old Testament. I will say this, the New Testament is, is very quiet about the tithe. It mentions it one place in Matthew 23, 23 and it seems to be in passing that Jesus mentions it. But what I always see is that people are willing to give God whatever it is he asks them to give. And here's what I believe, I trust you enough and I believe in you enough that you can pray and discern what it is that God wants you to do and then follow up and do it. Remember, God doesn't want to put a burden on you. God wants to set you free. It's gotta be a different way of looking at it. It's gotta be a different mindset. That's why I hate to talk about this sometimes. It's because my heart is for you to get this and be set free, but so many times it's interpreted as something else. Listen, the church is doing fine. I'm not up here to beg for money. I'm up here to encourage you to do what God leads you to do and to be obedient to what God wants you to be obedient with. Another one is I believe we give from our first. We give from our first. And I think this is important because it teaches us to trust God. We give him our first saying, God, thank you because you're our provider. And we give him our first trusting him that he'll give us the rest. We don't give from what's left over. We give from our first because think about it back in, 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 in uh, these days, if they had a sheep and they brought it to the temple, they gave their firstborn. Listen, there was no guarantee of a secondborn. It took trust in God. And so he wants us to trust him and he wants us to remember who our provider is. Another conviction that I have about this is that you can't outgive God. 
can't outgive God. I've seen this in my own life. When God's asked us to take steps of faith, when we were doing the one-on-one um, um, campaign and, and we, were, we were raising money for, for the building and trying to get that going and we're still doing that today, but God put it in our heart to do something that I was very uncomfortable doing, but what I've seen is that you just can't outgive God. He takes care of you. And the last one is that generosity begins to happen naturally when God's working in our heart. It begins to happen naturally when God's working in our heart. And so we just seek God and we do what God says. Not to throw a yoke on our neck, not to burden us, to set us free. So that materialism doesn't choke out the life of Christ in our life, but to do what God wants us to do. And when we're in a place where we feel like God's leading us, then we start with where we're at and we move from there. We listen to God and we do what he says. The last thing I wanna share with you is to me the, the greatest motivation for our giving and that's in verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you see the word grace mentioned throughout. And he talks about this grace of giving. But the reason that this grace of giving exists in our life, this grace of generosity exists in our life is because of the grace that we've received from Jesus himself. One of the things that happens when we're generous is we become like Christ. And, and when we become like Christ, we become more generous. And God loves a cheerful giver because it's the character of him, it's his character that we're growing into. Because God cheerfully gave us his best. He gave us his only, he gave us his son so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with him. And this is the thing that I will plead with you over. Let's want for others to have the same experience that we've had. For them to come into a relationship with Christ that is life-changing and life-altering and that, 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 that has ripple effects into eternity. And the motivation for that is what Jesus has done in us. See, God wants to do a great work in us, to do a great work through us. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. What's he talking about rich? Is he talking about financially? He's talking about the spiritual riches of Christ. He's talking about the fact that we're made righteous in him. He's talking about the fact that our sins are forgiven. He's talking about the fact that we become inherit, our inheritance then becomes with Christ. That at the end of days, we inherit everything that is God's. That God is, is the one who we get to spend eternity with forever in his kingdom. He's talking about all of the riches, the spiritual riches of Jesus in our lives. And so when we look at this, we see that we'll never give up as much as Jesus did. Think about that. Jesus gave up heaven, angels singing, praising his name to come to earth, to die a death that we should have died. He took on sin when he had none of his own. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. 
He gave it all so that we could have all. He gave it all to be our all in all. This is our motivation for life. This is our motivation for generosity. This is our motivation for serving. This is our motivation for evangelism. This is our motivation for community. This is our motivation for everything we do in God. God is not looking to add something else for us to do as a checklist to make him happy. He's wanting to work in our heart and change our lives so that we can become what he has designed us to become because when we become what he's designed us to become it's for his good or our good and for his glory. That's what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. And our motivation is what Jesus did for us. Let me ask you this. Has your heart been moved? Has it been transformed by Christ? Has he touched your heart in a real way? Have you accepted him as the savior of your life? Have you come to a place of surrendering to him in every area of your life? So we can be generous in all kinds of areas. Our service and evangelism with sharing all of these things. Has God touched your heart in that way? Because that's an indicator of what God's done in us. And for some of us, it's a matter of surrender. We've given our life to Christ and it's a matter of surrender saying, yeah, there's things I need to surrender to God. It might be your finances. It might be something else. It it, it could be um, something to do with your relationship, with your marriage, with with work, with whatever that God's putting on your heart that he's putting his finger on and you need to surrender it. But for others, it's an indicator that you need to know Christ, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And it seems to never fail that when we talk about generosity, that people recognize that I never have had that relationship with God because it is an indicator of the heart. And so I wanna give you that opportunity today if you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, never surrendered to him, you never said yes to him. You recognize that today, but you want that. You see these people being baptized and this baptism represents their spiritual death to life. And you say today, I want to be alive in Christ spiritually. I know I am dead, but I want to be made alive in Jesus. I don't give you that chance. Today, if you've never experienced that grace of God, that unmerited favor, that forgiveness, that love, You never said yes to that. But today God's putting that in your heart. And what I want you to do is I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to receive Christ today. I need a relationship with him. That's the most important thing. That's the biggest question we're going to ask and answer today is do I have a relationship with Jesus? Amen. speaking to your heart right now and you know it so guys I want to be real clear that's why we do what we do I'm not up here to fundraise we're up here to bring people closer to Jesus that's why we do everything that we do 
I want to pray for you. If today there's something in your heart you need to surrender to God, while I'm praying, I'm just going to ask you to stick your hand up in the air just in an act of faith saying, yeah, that's me and I'm surrendering today. I'm trusting God today in this area of my life, whatever that may be. But I want to pray and you acknowledge that today. You just say, yeah, that's me and I want to pray for you. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your heart for us. God, thank you for hands that are going up. Thank you for people who are surrendering things in their life to you today. I pray for them that your your hand would touch them, that you would encourage them, that you would give them strength, that as they surrender this, that God, as you take it from them, they wouldn't try to take it back, but they would trust you and surrender to you in everything and in every way. God, I pray that you would just work in their hearts and their lives to continue to fix their eyes on you, draw them close to you, God, wrap your arms around them, God, and do what only you can do in them and through them, Jesus. Um, Just change their hearts and guide them and lead them. I pray for every person in here that our hearts would be touched by you, that we would be a generous people, that we would be a generous church, God, that this body of believers would be generous to the world around us and generous to one another. I pray that our our, our cultures would be strong. I pray that our, our culture of service and evangelism and community and generosity would be strong and that they would work together to produce a church that God makes you smile. That, that, that reaches people who are far from you, that does the work that only you can do, God. Thank you, God, that we get to be a part of the church. We get to be a part of the greatest hope in the world, the church that shares the gospel of Jesus. Well, we love you and thank you for loving us. Thank you for the indescribable gift of Jesus. In his name we pray.